Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Tyron Liu said that this year was going to be about wins and lessons. Uh, he should have known that those would be his last words, as the Cavs are a team that never learns their lessons. Um, they have fired Tyron Liu after an 0-6 start. And to help break things down, uh, we have my co-worker, Fear the Sword, as well as a NBA writer at large for Dime Uproxx. Uh, Mike Zavagno, you, Mike, how's it going, buddy? Good, how are you? Not too bad. We, we reference your tweets frequently on here, whether we agree with them or not. And it's, it's probably good. It, it's about time that we have you on the podcast. So uh, I'm excited to have you on, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here and uh, excited to really break down uh, what, I mean, I, I, we were talking beforehand, but what kind of feels like going back to uh, the the calves that we kind of always deserved. <laughs> I don't know if deserved is the right word, but certainly the, the calves and the identity that we are used to associating with them. Um, the, the calves made a bit of a knee jerk reaction here, whether you are for or against the firing of Tyron Lou, I think we could all agree that the timing is far from ideal. Um, this puts the calves in a very difficult position because um, I, I just can't see good candidates being available at this time of year. It seems more like something that would be better done over the summer. Uh, what was kind of your initial gut reaction when the news broke? Yeah, I think I'm with you there. Um, I think that it was kind of part of process just because it really wasn't something that I envisioned would happen and happen so soon. And right. so it, it kind of took me a little bit to really go through how I felt about it in my head. And I think that I ultimately, um, you know, just kind of come down on the side of where it, it just seems ridiculous to now, I don't even know, I guess what Larry Drew's title is. I guess he's <laughs> associate head coach and not interim, but for, for whatever it, it's worth, it seems as if he's going to be shepherding the team um, through the rest of the season. As you said, I would doubt that, a good head coaching candidate is currently available and willing to take on this job for, for the Cavs for the next 76 games. And so you're essentially leaving yourself with almost a lost season. If you believe, I think as you should, that Larry Drew won't ultimately be the one who comes out of this process as the head coach. Right. And I, I think in terms of regular season accomplishments this was always going to be a lost season but I, I think you and I are both believers in how important continuity is and and as you're trying to develop guys like uh, Jetty Osman and Colin Sexton um, it, it's tough if you're going from Tyron Lue who's coaching one way and that's the way you practice and prepare throughout training camp then you're going to have some deviation here. So let's say they even find a, a head coach outside of Larry Drew or Larry Drew uh, as a one-year interim. That's, that's another adjustment you have to make. And then going into next season, if Larry Drew isn't the head coach, 
you're going to have to kind of reacclimate it and get used to another coach. And this was something that happened with Kyrie and his uh, time here before LeBron came back. And to me, I, I always felt at the time that that was something that put him in such a, a difficult position. And, and it's just frustrating to see history kind of repeat itself here. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, Colin Sexton, likely by the time that he plays his 83rd game, will have had three head coaches for the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, which certainly isn't the situation that you want to create in terms of his growth and development on the floor. And we've seen in the past really how hard it's been to integrate just one player or even a couple players after trade deadline moves that the Cavs have made over the last few years. And now you think that you have to integrate a new head coach in which he probably wants to run some sort of a different system, uh, whether it's full-scale offensive playbook changes or just minor tweaks. And instead of building that in over the summer and through the preseason and having these guys really be able to work through those changes and practice them, you're going to be trying to install this stuff on the fly while you're playing real, you know, regular season games. And it's just, it's going to be really difficult for that process to play out. Yeah, it, it really is a, a difficult place to kind of put the team in. And, and to me, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around exactly what the cause of this firing was. Um, you and I both, both had a, a disagreement over kind of the Joe Varden report where it seemed like it, the, the piece framed it almost like a mutiny on, on behalf of Tyron Lue, putting some of the veterans in the lineup. Um, and it kind of emphasized how the front office wants them to go young. But at the same time, as this firing came out, all we hear is that um, Tyron Lue hadn't got the potential they expected out of this roster and, and they expected more winning. They expected the team to look more coherent. But if you're going to win, then you're going to play some of your better players. And I don't think J.R. Smith qualifies as that, but Kyle Korver at the very least has been very helpful since he's been put back in a rotation and someone that would help the young players. So to me, it's confusing. Do they want to go completely young, uh, kick the veterans outside of the rotation, let the young guys kind of make their own mistakes? Or do they actually expect some sort of coherent basketball here? Right. I think that you look at this and it's basically – the notion that if you're being very kind to the Cavs, you could say that they realize that this team isn't going anywhere. They don't think that Ty Lue is the guy who's going to develop these players. Uh, they want to go young. And so they moved on from him um, knowing those things. Um, but like you said, it's probably um, maybe more likely or at least as likely as they're just upset that they aren't winning basketball games. They think that the roster is much better than it is based on their comments that, you know, had kind of come out through the summer and the preseason and right. kind of even like what guys like Tristan have been saying throughout the season and that they're moving on from Ty Lue because they don't think that he's giving them enough wins with this roster, which seems quite ridiculous, but it could <laughs> easily be the explanation for why they did this. Right, right. And I, I, there's so many other factors too, like the, the Kevin Love foot injury. So we tried playing through it for a couple games, as we just recently learned. Um, and now the team's contemplating shutting him down for a while uh, in order to get that injury kind of back on track. Um, this feels a lot like Kyrie in the pre-return era where any bumps or bruises, the team's going to be ultra cautious because they know it's in the best interest of long-term health and also best interests of this team. 
um, which is to try to get high lottery odds, even with the, the reconfigured a reconfigured structure there with the the draft lottery you still want to try to get up there as high as possible so um i'm really curious how things are going to change in terms of the rotation um if larry drew is acting as an interim coach here i would expect a lot of the rotation decisions to be dictated by the front office so to see what sort of tangible change is going to occur uh, will kind of tip their hand on, on what the thought process was behind the Tyron Lue firing. I mean, we already saw a little bit more David Nwaba in the last couple games or, or last game against Indiana. Um, we saw Colin Sexton getting a few more minutes, um, but he hasn't exactly proven that he's ready or deserving of those minutes yet. So if I had to guess, I, I would expect Sexton to be inserted into starting lineup just because that seems like – my best guess on on what the team wants. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same in that you would expect Sexton to probably start like almost immediately. Um, I think you could even make a case for George Hill just completely falling out of the rotation entirely, uh, especially if you want to give Nawaba more minutes. Um, you're going to have Clarkson and Nawaba, you know, coming off of the bench, uh, and you could see George Hill just kind of not playing at all. Obviously, that becomes a difficult position if you're looking to trade Hill uh, this season. But it, he he is someone who I think does play quite slow, and they really haven't been able to follow through. I think as much as they would like to on this playing fast, uh, you know, thing that they've been talking about obviously for years, but especially after LeBron left, and they're playing about seven possessions per game faster with Sexton on the floor as compared to Hill, and so I think that you know, if you have Sexton out there, he might at least be able to push the pace of that starting unit into something that was kind of more like their vision coming into the year. Right, right. And, and I, I think that's a good observation. Um, my my thought had always been what would be best is to play Sexton alongside George Hill because um, Colin just hasn't displayed a, an understanding of the game and and an ability to run a, a team offense to this point. And especially with Kevin Love not being available as kind of a, an offensive hub, um, either from the high post or, or any of the other spots where he gets the ball. Um, I, I think you almost need that secondary playmaker. Otherwise, you, you fall into isolation Rodney Hood, uh, Jetty Osmond forcing things, or Jordan Clarkson doing that off the bench. So I think playing those two alongside together might be the most advantageous move. Um, but my, my concern, which is kind of echoing what you said there, is George Hill doesn't play with the, the pace that they want. And the other thing is um, he just isn't assertive when he's on the floor. Like even in the half court, they, it's too often that he's kind of probing. And the, this team is built for somebody to draw the defense in and, and kick the ball out. And that's just something that we haven't seen at all from them. Yeah, and I think that if you just look at where the roster is right now, you know, we've talked uh, a lot about how there aren't really guys who have that ability to kind of be a uh, like high-level playmaker on this team. And so obviously Kevin Love is out right now, but one way in which they could possibly address that problem is by having Love kind of operate as the pseudo playmaker in more of like a – elbow touch, uh, even Nikola Jokic type role where Denver uses Jokic a ton at the elbows and you see Kevin Love and his elbow touches have actually somehow gone down between (laughs) last year and this year, which 
going into this offseason, once LeBron left, you would obviously think that that would be kind of something that Ty Lue would focus on, would be getting the ball to Kevin Love at the elbow. And really all we've seen is his post touches double, but his elbow touches actually decrease. And I think that, at least for me, that's been a point of frustration with kind of how Lou didn't really seem to tailor the offense to the personnel that remained on the roster, but rather tried to kind of run back last year's playbook and just put Rodney Hood or Jetty kind of in those LeBron spots. And I, I think we've seen some of those struggles because of it. Yeah, I don't think uh, Jetty is quite at Turkish LeBron levels yet. Um, <laughs> it, it was funny because in the Minnesota game, especially, that it was interesting when he was actually executing at that level and, and finishing at a high rate and, and finding the, the right passing lanes. He, he, the offense looked like it should look, um, but the problem is what, what differentiates role players from stars is the ability to do that on a consistent basis. And Jetty Osmond is just not at that position yet, and he's not um, he, he's just not ready for that kind of stuff. Even if he's never going to be ready for it, he just hasn't been put in a great position. And, and one of the things we talked about um, on our, our season preview was that Kevin Love was kind of going to be the barometer on how we feel about Tyron Lue this year. Um, and I, I think your points are fair that he just hasn't been put in great positions. I don't think you go back to using him exactly how you used him in Minnesota. His game has kind of evolved and you still have to accentuate what he does best. Um, but I, I just don't think that that was happening. And I, I don't know if the foot injury was a, part of that um but at the very least the foot injury is probably going to uh, affect execution more so of what they were trying to do and i i think your point is fair that they simply weren't getting him the ball in the in the elbow yeah and i mean i think that you know love he currently ranks fourth in post touches per game in the nba um, and it just kind of seems like an antiquated decision to do that when you have a roster that really is short on shooting. And so when Love's getting the ball down on the post, he's been quite unsuccessful. Again, hard to say if it's just because of the lack of spacing or the foot injury or some kind of combination. But, you know, the Cavs are scoring on only 30% of his post touches. And you can just see that he's drawing multiple defenders, but the the kickout passes just aren't having the same effect as they would be if you're playing a roster that's kind of built on shooting and guys really taking those catch and shoot opportunities. But instead you're seeing a Rodney hood or a Jordan Clarkson kind of take that pass and pump fake and one dribble into a tough mid range shot. And that's why you have a team that's leading the NBA in, in mid range jumpers instead of taking more threes. So let's talk about them a little bit because so the, the front office wants to pivot and focus on the young players, but realistically, it's not like this is a very young team. Um, a lot of these players are who they are. Um, I, I think in terms of prospects that you could say, okay, they're still relatively early in their development curve. That'd be Jetty Osmond, Colin Sexton, and Ante Zizic. Uh, Larry Nance is just a few months younger than Tristan Thompson. Tristan is in the spring chicken here. Uh, Rodney Hood's been in the league for a while, and Jordan Clarkson kind of is who he is. How much does Lou being fired reset your expectations or kind of does, does it wipe the slate clean for guys like Rodney Hood and, and you restart your evaluation period? Or do you think what you've seen from them so far has kind of told you all you need to know? Because I, I think some people had high expectations for Rodney Hood, and he simply just hasn't lived up to it so far. 
Yeah, I mean, I saw some people with some insanely high expectations for Rodney Hood going into the season. Some some people were saying he was going to average like 18 to 20 points a game. Um, I'm not really sure what evidence they had for that. Uh, you know, he's currently shooting 13% from three, so obviously he's going to come up a little bit in terms of his scoring. But I just think like with a guy like Rodney Hood or, or a guy like Jordan Clarkson, uh, they're generally going to be – who they are unless <laughs> you have a coach who it has the kind of clout enough to really install a system that gets them away from their worst tendencies. And that's not to say that they're suddenly going to stop taking mid-range shots entirely. But, you know, if you can phase out five to ten of those shots from this team per game I think you and turn them into threes, I think you're talking about a completely different play style. And uh, when you hire a, a new head coach, I think that you kind of have to be focused on someone who's going to at least try to push these guys who you have on the roster uh, to, to be better versions of themselves rather than falling back into those bad habits. Right. And, and the thing that's concerning to me is I always thought that this season should be about trying to develop good habits for the young players, develop some sort of a, an identity as a team and um, some some play style, some, something that you could look to and say, okay, well, this is what Cavs basketball is. And to your point, I, I think when you have a, a coach that can get guys motivated, that can get guys to execute kind of his vision, that, that should be the goal for this team. But anytime you see a team where that is the case, where the coach really does have that power, there's an organizational stability to that. There's the backing of the front office, and it, it's kind of our way or the highway. Um, you see Brad Stevens empowered. You see Greg Popovich empowered. And, and without that, it, it, I think it's really tough to get guys on board. And I, again, it, it's just so frustrating that when you're hoping that the Cavs can build some sort of an identity, just the, the ghost of Cavs past come right back up. And, and obviously Dan Gilbert is, is a big part of that. Yeah, I, I think that... People have said it before, but obviously having a bad owner is one of the largest disadvantages in all sports because you can't fire the owner. Um, and right. you know, we, we can't, as fans, force Dan Gilbert to sell the team. Uh, and so, you know, you're stuck with his heavy hand over all of these decisions, uh, kind of whether you like it or not. And, you know, that starts obviously from uh, the, the Colin Sexton pick. Uh, I mean, obviously it's been before then, but it, it really reverberates through all of the decisions that are being made for this team. And, you know, we'll see if Larry Drew is now forced to play Sexton, you know, significantly more than the 22 minutes per game that he's playing now, whether that goes up to something like 30. Um, I, I would think that that would be what Gilbert would want in this situation. Um, but at the same point in time, he shouldn't hold that expectation of Sexton's playing time and hold the expectation of winning at the same point in time, because as you said, you know, Sexton just is, isn't there yet and he's a rookie and he's 19 years old and that's totally fine. Yeah. It, it's such a tough position to be in because you really do want him to go out there and earn his minutes. But um, I, I think one of the fair criticisms for Lou is just the positions he's been putting Sexton in. Uh, namely playing with Jordan Clarkson on the bench. I think that has kind of hurt his development to some extent. And I'm not particularly high on Colin Sexton. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that he, he's a total bust, but he, he wouldn't have been who I went with at that point. And I, I have to wonder if 
how he's played so far and just the role that Dan Gilbert had in selecting him might have influenced things. If it was kind of a, a lashing out for Sexton not being as good as they expected early on, I certainly think he's shown flares. He, he's shown flashes of the player that he can be and some of the good things that he can do out there. Um, and I think he's playing a little more under control. But this this is very much a work in progress. And um, it, it'll be interesting to see what type of things they do to to help empower him and, and help his growth. Because he has the work ethic. It's just about whether he can translate the desire to be an impact player into studying the game and sharpening his ability to read the floor. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Pelton wrote in his article today that Sexton's taking the least efficient shots uh, in the entire NBA. Um, He's only taken four three-point attempts as compared to uh, 34 uh, long twos, which certainly is not the ratio that you would like. And he ranks in the 11th percentile on cleaning the glass in assists uh, per usage percentage. So you're really not getting anything in terms of the correct profile uh, that you would like out of Colin Sexton. You know, you're not really worried at this point in time about makes and misses, um, you know, whether he's making the three. But you, you would like to see him shoot more threes because I think that that's obviously going to be a key to unlocking his development as it really is for any young point guard um, in the NBA. And so the fact that Sexton has kind of fallen into really like this Jordan Clarkson shot profile slash passing mold uh, so early in the season uh, is definitely probably some cause for concern throughout the front office. And like you said, you know, if he gets inserted in the starting lineup, um, I'm sure that's what you know, Dan Gilbert wants to see that maybe he can turn some of those tendencies around under Larry Drew. Right. The disappointing thing is that part of why the starting lineup would have been so great for him is the presence of Kevin Love, and that's just not there. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, when you have Sam Decker instead of Kevin Love, it's a kind of a, kind of a big drop off there. Yeah, man, I, I've, I've said it before, but it's frustrating because anytime Sam Decker does something good, I know that it's going to delay his eventual benching, and that's just frustrating because I'm I'm just not convinced that that guy is somebody that should have any part of a, a regular NBA rotation. It's yeah, and I mean it's a decision that the Cavs basically created for themselves. I mean, you looked at this roster all off season, and there was just never a backup wing on the team, and it was clearly a hole. They didn't have anyone to play behind Kevin Love and Jetty in the starting lineup. I mean, it was essentially like maybe Billy Preston could do something. And other than that, there was literally no one on the roster. And then they rectified this by going out and trading for borderline NBA player and Sam Decker, all of a sudden loves injured. And now you're forced into this situation, which you, you should have seen coming. I mean, you should have seen Kevin Love missing some games this year as something that was uh, very likely to happen. And you put yourself in this position where you're forced to start a guy who probably shouldn't even be in the NBA. Right. And that was always part of, kind of my vision for the season like I advocated for extending love just because I felt that there was no market for them uh, I knew that the Cavs were basically working from a position of weakness where everyone kind of expects a rebuild and the anticipation was that love would just simply walk I don't know where you kind of fell on the extension but I felt that the Cavs would be very capable of t- kind of tanking this season going young 
uh, even with love there extended and sort of mimic what the Memphis Grizzlies did uh, last season. Uh, now, the Grizzlies didn't exactly do that by design, but I, I think in, in terms of actual product on the court, uh, the Cavs are very similar. Now, in terms of potential fallout from the Tyron Lou firing, um, obviously Kevin Love and a lot of the other players are on record as being pretty pissed off about this. Um, but Love isn't exactly in a position where he can demand a trade and, and have that um, wish granted him. He, he doesn't exactly have a lot of leverage with the term left on his contract. What, what do you anticipate here? Because with the firing of Tyron Lue, it seems like anything is possible. Uh, this team is just so reactionary that uh, I guess it's hypothetically, hypothetically they could still trade Kevin Love this season. I don't see them going in that direction. What's kind of your read on the situation? Yeah, I feel bad for Channing, first of all. Um, yeah. Having to come back to, to what's going on here. Um, I don't know if he had other, you know, other options that he would uh, consider might be better now than he did in the summer. But, you know, beyond that, I mean, I think that you should obviously, and I'm sure they are probably looking to trade George Hill. Um, I doubt that anyone bites on that. Um, But, you know, if you can move him for basically like anything, just to clear some of this log jam, I I think makes some sense. Um, Obviously, you know, I, if I I would like to see Kyle Korver get traded just honestly for Kyle Korver's sake. Like he deserves to be playing for a playoff team and he deserves to kind of be in like that situation where he's helping a team at the end of his career, as opposed to just kind of like in this weird minutes fluctuating situation in Cleveland where sometimes he's going to play. Sometimes he's not. He's probably, he just looks openly the most depressed player uh, (laughs) out of anyone on the team. And he's the only player on the team with a positive net rating. So uh, you know, he, he is like still helping the team when he's on the floor, but he definitely just deserves to be somewhere where he can actually kind of be helping a playoff push, whether that is what seems to be the obvious fit in Philly or somewhere else. So uh, I, I would hope that they trade him, but really just more for his sake, because if he stays here, I, I do think that he is helping the team and can still help with some development like he obviously did with uh, Jetty's jumper. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, apparently Joe Varden uh, went on the Basketball Breakdown podcast and was talking a little bit about kind of what went into the decision. Um, one of the things they mentioned apparently was that um, Lou was also looking sick again, um, which isn't great. Said that there were rumors about Corver and JR not playing, spreading across the bench, and, and that kind of mutiny and uh, the, the fallout from that. Um, was happening in game and that was part of why the Cavs looked so uh, dejected against Atlanta. I mean, this is a mess. Like yeah. there's no, no way around it is that the dysfunction of the team really puts them in a tough position. And I'm not saying you can't win with Dan Gilbert because obviously we've seen that you can, you, you need to have the best player, potentially the best player of all time um, to, to do it. And we know he's going to spend money at a rate that most owners don't. So that, that's one advantageous thing. But the thing is, you're already working with such a small margin for error as uh, a smaller market team and, and not one of the premier markets. And I, I think that margin for error gets even smaller when you have a, an owner that has his fingers on the team the same way that Gilbert has. Yeah, I think that the communication structures within the organization uh, become incredibly unnatural if you have Gilbert kind of 
parroting in whenever he wants to and kind of making these decisions or, you know, trying to influence these decisions. And so I think that that could be part of why the Corver and JR thing kind of happened the way that it did, because it seemed like there was poor communication in this situation. Um, I don't know exactly how much autonomy Kobe Altman currently has, um, but you would imagine that, you know, if it's going to be Larry Drew for the rest of the year, if it's going to be someone else uh, on an interim basis, that that person would probably lack a decent amount of autonomy. And so you're going to get a product on the floor that's probably not the idealized version of, of what this team could be in terms of development just because you have his hand kind of in all of these uh, different decision-making processes. Right. And, and my personal preference is just to, with this whole coaching search, is to just start fresh. Like, I, I think you need to turn everything over. I don't think promoting one of the old voices there is going to do anything to change the the dynamic between the, the players in the front office there. I think you, you need to hit a kind of a hard reset. And, and again, something that we've both ran about is why Mike Lombardi is still on the team. It's honestly insane. And like, it makes absolutely no sense. He's clearly like somehow he's the worst defensive coordinator. I don't even know if that's like a common thing to have besides like the Cavs and the Rockets, like have like a prominent defensive coordinator, quote unquote, but like he's coaching the worst defense in the league for multiple seasons with different personnel. Uh, he clearly just is using antiquated concepts. They literally have to take away his power every time they get into the playoffs. He's that bad. And that, yet that, that's somehow, a great sign, right? He somehow outlasts Ty Lue, which is literally insane. I, I think him becoming the interim coach might be the best thing possible for this franchise because <laughs> I think the only reason that he's been able to skate by for this long is because nobody knows he exists. Everyone <laughs> has put the uh, the blame for the defense on Ty Lue and all the blame of the coaching staff. I, I think we just need to shine a light on him, and <laughs> hopefully that would lead to some change. Yeah, I, I mean – I don't know if it's because he's so short that he just like kind of goes unnoticed or, or what's going on on the bench, but like, man, he is really bad at his job and he just kind of gets to survive and continue coaching. And it's clear that what he does doesn't work, but if he were, yeah, I mean, he, he should go. And like you said, everyone should just kind of probably get cleared out at this point and the Cavs should probably be looking at, I mean, the only guys I would assume would take this job anyway are, you know, those younger up and coming assistant coaches um, who are not retreads. You know, you don't want to install someone who's been a head coach in the NBA and failed. I just don't think that that's the right direction to take if you're looking at kind of a player development uh, job. And whether you kind of go like the route like the Hawks did or, and hire someone like Lloyd Pierce or, or Kenny Atkinson with the Nets. Uh, really install a coach that's going to play the right system of basketball while you're bad and build the correct habits. So what, you know, whenever the next Cavs team that is good emerges, they already have players on it who know how to play basketball in the modern era. Yeah. Th that seems like a good thing when you're building a team, right? Like have, <laughs> one would think. Have, have some understanding of modern basketball. I mean, I, I think that's what we've both been hoping for is kind of process over results because you're not going to get positive results with this team. It's just inherently flawed. Um, as we mentioned, there's a lot of players that are good role players that would be able to help out a lot of teams, 
Um, but without that catalyst, without that guy that makes things happen, um, there everyone is basically overmatched and playing in a role that's probably two positions higher than they should be. Um, and it's, I don't know. It's it, it's just disheartening to see that the team as a whole is going with the wrong process, even if it was the right thing to, to fire Tyron Lue, which personally I would have liked to have more of an evaluation period for him uh, w- without LeBron James. Um, but even if that was the right decision, I just think the timing puts them in, in such a tough position and it just, it, it makes, it makes them the laughing stock of the league again. And I, for all the talk that Tyron Lue can't coach defense, he pretty much got all of NBA Twitter to defend for him today. So I, I guess there, there maybe is some potential there. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you, it just seems as if the Cavs, like from the time that LeBron decided, you know, announced that he was going to Los Angeles, it seems like the franchise just was like, okay, summer break. And then they came back in the preseason and it was like they hadn't, thought conceptually about the team at all they were still talking about making the playoffs they hadn't like made roster moves to clear out the clear log jams at center and guard that they have on this team and look for literally any wings and they didn't do anything on the court to change their schemes to tailor to be tailored to their personnel and so it kind of seems as if everybody in the organization just took a a little break and then they came back and all these decisions that should have been made prior to the season got pushed back as a result of that. And so if you thought that Ty Lue wasn't the guy six games into the year, then you should have thought Ty Lue wasn't the guy zero games into the year. And, and everything's just kind of moving on a timeline that, that shouldn't exist, and it's extremely detrimental to the, to the team as a whole. Yeah, I wonder if the fact that they were practicing against themselves made the, the front office think <laughs> that things were working uh, better than they were. And especially because like Clarkson was unstoppable in the preseason. Exactly. Forget. No, no one on the team could lock him up. I, that, that must mean that he is, uh, he's just an unstoppable force. And plus you had in the preseason games, Kevin Love and Jetty weren't really playing. So the team could at least say, okay, well we're missing those guys, but they look great in practice. We look fantastic in practice. Um, but yeah, as, as someone that is a chronic procrastinator, um, I can, I can get behind the Cavs putting off this decision and then recognizing six games into the year. Oh shit. We, we should have done things a little differently. It's uh, Jordan Clarkson, not making the Victor Oladipo leap this year is completely and totally shocking after the preseason <laughs> really I, thought that he was going to be averaging 25 and five by now. The, the Jordan Clarkson experience is something because I don't think there's any denying that he's at the very least a talented scorer. It's just he has none of the complementary skills to go alongside it. He has no ability to recognize what's going on in a game. He just he gets the ball and he's thinking of getting his own. Like and it's it's all captured perfectly by Robbie Callen's it's Jordan Clarkson time tweet that will <laughs> never die because it's too good. It, it it's so perfect and it's the funny thing is, even when he is scoring efficiently, because he actually does that fairly frequently, like a, he scores at, at a good rate, it just comes at the expense of the team rhythm. Like he doesn't find anybody else. The ball isn't moving. Um, I, I remember two games ago, I, I was remarking that uh, Colin Sexton was in the game and for six straight possessions, he didn't touch the ball, which is remarkable for a point guard. Um, and that was basically the Jordan Clarkson experience. 
Jordan Clarkson has a 27.7% usage percentage and a 6.3 assist percentage, which is the worst assist per usage in the NBA. And that is a thing that has happened in multiple seasons, not just this one. The only person I can think of that has been given a bigger role with deserving it even less than Jordan Clarkson is myself hosting this podcast. Like, <laughs> I'm just utterly unqualified, but you know what? It's Justin Rowan time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so do you have, let, let's say hypothetically, like it, it's so weird to me to kind of switch my mind and think in coaching search terms. Like, is there a, a, a candidate that you've heard for other teams um, that currently would potentially be a candidate? Like, I'm curious to see what kind of names pop up. Um, maybe, I, I'm sure Dan Gilbert's texting Tom Izzo as we speak. Right, exactly. getting turned down. Um, maybe Chauncey Billups is going to get a text or two. <laughs> Just, hey, it didn't work out for the GM job, but how would you like to coach the team? Uh, uh, I've seen uh, Rick Pitino thrown okay. around there. Okay. Yeah. That would I, be a that would be a Dan Gilbert move too, hundred percent. That, see, that's tough because you can't. You'd have to only travel at night because he can't be exposed to sunlight. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, Rick, Rick Pitino. That uh, the possessions would finish in in fifteen seconds or less, so they'd start playing fast. That's. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! It's I. I feel like they're probably just going to end up extending Larry Drew, like. Um, and, and that would be like, I, I just can't think of any reason from a basketball standpoint to go with Larry Drew. Like we know what he is as a coach. I don't think it cha- does much to change the culture at all. Um, but I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that the Cavs are still paying two head coaches at the moment here uh, with Mike Brown and, and Ty Lue. Uh, David Blatt's contract is already up. Um, so maybe, maybe they're just going to go with the cost effective thing of, uh, signing Larry Drew on the cheap. Yeah, I was honestly thinking that the cost-effective approach could actually help them like fall ass backwards into hiring someone decent. Um, because if they were going to look outside the organization but didn't want to pay anyone, that they would likely be forced into hiring one of these you know younger assistant coaches who have never coached as a head coach before as opposed to going for like trying to hire Stan Van Gundy or something like that yeah or or Mark Jackson right and so if, if that's the case oh, then fuck it's going to be Mark Jackson <laughs> if that's the case maybe you actually succeed not by any you know positive process of your own but just by the fact that you're trying to be cheap and then you hire one of these like solid assistant coaches whether it's someone who maybe sits on the Nets bench or someone who's you know sits on uh the Dallas bench or the Houston bench you know someone who kind of is is in the culture of these teams that are are playing basketball the right way even though they haven't been necessarily great teams and you kind of continue to build on that style with with a younger coach who who comes in and is kind of a player development focus guy I guess basically like in the mold of, of what the Hawks did with Lloyd Pierce. And, and so far they're at least playing basketball the right way, despite the fact that they obviously don't have much talent. Yeah. I, I think that's a really interesting observation that because if they're going the cost effective way, they're not going to go the retread route, but 
I, I can't decide whether or not they're going to go that way or if they're going to say, hey, we need to make a splash here. We're taking a PR loss um, with how everyone's reacting to the firing of Tyron Liu. Let, let's go out there and, and kind of get a big name. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I really would assume, hope yeah. I would assume that. <laughs> right. It, I, I mean, that's kind of the, the best way to go about it is if you assume the worst with the Cavs, you're probably going to end up on the right side more times than you're on the wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, nothing in their past behavior would suggest that they would take this process uh, with a, a long focused view and, you know, really conduct a thorough search and, you know, come into next season with, with a solid candidate and a solid plan. Um, so I, I don't think we should assume any of those things. Right, because if they didn't go that route, it would mean that they'd be learning lessons. And if they wanted to learn lessons, they would have stuck with Tyron Lue. Um, before we wrap things up, what young guys do you think actually are worth prioritizing on this team? Um, I mean, I think obviously you have to start with Jetty and Sexton um, because those are really the two youngest developmental guys uh, that you have. But like you said earlier, when, when you look at this, uh, from an age perspective, the, the only other guy on the team who's young is, is Zizic. And I'm not entirely sure that, you know, he's ever going to be someone who's going to fit into the, the modern game. Um, you know, you just extended Larry Nance, which I thought was kind of a ridiculous um, decision. And he's getting severely outplayed by Tristan so far this year, which kind of makes it even look worse. <laughs> um, so I'm not entirely sure. I guess you have to prioritize him because you paid him uh, way too much money and he hasn't looked good. So that's not a good sign. Uh, and then, you know, other than that, I think that Clarkson and, and Hood can be kind of lost causes. Um, maybe you get something out of Nawaba, but with him not playing and, and his contract being what it is, you, you would definitely not expect him to be on this team after this year. Right. Uh, and so I think that outside of Sexton and, and Jetty, you're the young player that you should be uh, bu building up the most is just watching Duke tape on RJ Barrett. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I mean, so with the new lottery odds, it's still, refresh my memory, it's still going to be the top three picks that are you have some sort of lottery chance at, and then after that, it's just going to fall in the order of the standings, correct? Um, I think it's like a higher percentage. Like the current structure, it's 25, 19, 15, and now they're just reducing them to oh right right 14. no but i yeah right now it's it's like 14 14 14 and then it just kind of uh yeah. goes down from there yeah, yeah. It, like the gap from the first overall pick to 10th um in terms of lottery lottery odds is smaller than it was first to third right. i believe yeah. um but i i think they're still only drawing for those top three spots and then it falls in the order of the standing so i i mean i think as long as the Cavs end up with a top five pick uh, they're going to be in a decent position because um, as exciting as Zion Williams is, uh, he, you look and he's he's still like fourth on a lot of draft boards that I've seen. Like you still have Cam Reddish that's really exciting to me, uh, Nazir Little. Um, we're not going to pivot straight into draft talk, but um, I, I do think that there still is the potential for the Cavs to kind of have a quick turnaround here because if you have Kevin Love committed – and you can develop Jetty and Colin this year. Um, I, I think if you add a top pick to that and you have cap space to actually build a team that makes sense around that core, 
uh, you could be in pretty decent position. And, and I'm also still just a believer in what Ante Zizic can be long-term. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if they handle this process correctly, which, again, we have no uh, indications that they will. Right, which is part of why today is so frustrating. <laughs> the, there, there is a path where, I mean, and this is what I was advocating even before the season, is that you should be tanking as hard as you can this year because getting that you know top one, two, three pick and installing that guy alongside what you have and then using your cap space wisely, there is a path to be you know a decent team very quickly. Um, it's just a matter of actually being willing to commit to something like you know really, really going hard to get a top three pick or you know like using your cap space intelligently next summer, which again, who knows what will happen. But there, like you said, I think there really is an opportunity to kind of be at least, you know, looking at the playoffs again quite soon, it's just the odds of that, um, you know, actually happening, I think you have to say that they decrease today. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and, and that's my hope. Like, that's why I advocated for signing Kevin Love, because I just didn't think that there was a market out there. Um, his presence after being extended here isn't going to impact their ability to, to take on bad money uh, in exchange for assets. And, and hopefully they're, they're able to get something uh, for uh, George Hill, um, JR, and, and Kyle Korver. I'm not expecting much, but if they could like even just get a few seconds that you can use, um, that, that would be, that'd be good for me because I, I think it also just opens up time for those young guys. Um, but Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. This was long, long overdue and I'm sure we'll, we'll have you on again this year, uh, hopefully with Carter so we can uh, shit on him together. Cause that, that, that's, that's really what this podcast is all about. Um, but before we go, I'm just going to give you the floor here to, to plug your stuff. Let, let people know where they can find you. Uh, yeah, th- thanks for having me on again. Uh, enjoyed it and uh, excited to come back on again at some point. Um, I am currently writing when I have time uh, over at Dime, um, which is less frequent by the day. Um, <laughs> and then hopefully, you know, still doing Twitter at M's of Agno 11 and, uh, you know, hopefully talking about the Cavs uh, more on there as well. So uh, that's where you can find me for now. Uh, when I, when I have the time to kind of uh, do those things. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks to our listeners. Remember, support the podcast, leave a rating, leave, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, cook those books. And if you want to be part of our Chase Down podcast uh, Discord chat, leave a review, take a screenshot, email it to chasedownpod at gmail.com, and we'd be more than happy to send you an invite. Um, So we've got a lot more lessons ahead of us, and uh, we will be with you all year to break those down. So thanks again to our listeners, and until next time, go Caps.